Hi, everyone. I know recently we announced we were going to two episodes a week and then three episodes a week. But you know what? There are just too many episodes. So we are going to back to five episodes a week. Still a reduction from seven, but there were just too many interviews scheduled, and I didn't want to make all the authors wait for too long. So I hope you can keep up with me. Listen to one a week as you're on your way to work or on your way home or putting your kids to bed or whatever it is you're doing. Moms don't have time to read books now five times a week. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Zivi Owens, and you're listening to Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. This 30-minute podcast features a new author interviewed by me every single day, 365 days a year for about 30 minutes. I am also the publisher for Zibby Books, which publishes 12 books a year in fiction and memoir. Our books are already out now. You can check it out on zibbybooks.com. And we have a magazine called Zibby Mag, where we have lots of wonderful essays and lifestyle features. That's at zibbymag.com. We have classes at zibbyclasses.com. And I recently opened a bookstore in LA called Zibby's Bookshop at 1113 Montana Avenue at 11th Street in Santa Monica. I hope that you are able to enjoy some of our other offerings. But this here podcast is the basis of all of it and started in 2018. And no matter what I do, this is basically my favorite thing. Enjoy. Catherine Vaz is the author of Above the Salt, a novel. Catherine is a former Briggs Copeland Fellow in Fiction at Harvard and Fellow of the Radcliffe Institute. She's the author of Saudad Mariana in Six Language, which was optioned by Harrison Productions, Fado and Other Stories, and Our Lady of the Artichokes. Above the Salt, which published in November by Flatiron, was 18 years in the making. Vaz is the first Portuguese-American to have work recorded for the archives of the Library of Congress. Welcome, Catherine. Thank you so much for coming on Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books to discuss Above the Salt, a novel. Well, first of all, thank you so much for inviting me on the program, Zibby, and thanks for all you do for writers because it's so encouraging. You know, writers are so solitary, so this is a real treat. 
Oh, I'm so glad. Happy to help. I love writers. And speaking of, you are so breathtakingly talented the way that you write. Oh. I feel like I'm reading a book that's been assigned in school as like an example of something. Oh I mean, your God. your language is just, it's just amazing. Immersive, beautiful, otherworldly, like soulful, oh, spiritual. I don't know. It's re- You're a beautiful writer. So I'm sure you know that. But anyway. <laughs> you know, it uh, It helps to hear that. And it it's so encouraging. And I will say that we, writers all have their challenges and it really makes sense to look at strengths and weaknesses. And I worked with editors to hone the story and make the story, the spine of it, exist on the top of the book and carry people through. And one of the most wonderful comments I've gotten are comments from readers saying, oh, yes, it's a beautiful poetic book, but the story was so great and it had twists and turns I didn't expect. And I cried here and there, which I love to hear, of course. (laughs) So, So that's always very encouraging. I can give you the capsule version of the book. It's based on true story. And I have Portuguese ancestry and have written a lot about the Portuguese in America, It's a nice time to do that because suddenly Portugal and Lisbon are just exploding with tourism and popularity. But this is based on the true story of a group of people on the Portuguese island of Madeira who were converted to Presbyterianism, violently driven off the island. There was a boy named John Alves who was raised in jail with his mother who was condemned to die for heresy. But believe it or not, Illinois adopted them, took them in, very 19th century American generosity at work. And John Alves met and courted and fell in love with someone he met in the Lincoln household. He went off to the Union Army, came back, and then something happened because he ended up wandering the West for decades before he found her again. So it's kind of a love in the time of cholera meets cold mountain with a Latin Portuguese element, I guess you could say. Wow. Do you mind if I just read like a paragraph or something please, to give please. listeners a taste of your of your prose here? This is still from the beginning, but this is this is when John is in prison with his mom and he's screaming, she's just been taken away. He gasped when his throat offered nothing more, not even raw bleeding. A wash over him came music. People were singing the hymn, pouring out our rapture suite. The sounds traveling, he guessed, from the hillock between the dolphin-flecked sea and the jail, men and women and children funneling words to heaven that heaven, in turn, was raining upon him. The tunny fish in the tides swished and salted the wind that blew the melodies of these unseen souls to him. Someone was splitting pineapples with a machete, commanding the breezes to carry the juices spray. Oh, happy home where thou art loved, light of light, enlighten me. The songs commanded him to abide by mama's anthem. If you live through one minute, you can survive the next. Drink us up, eat us up. The world is a musical instrument. The banana trees sway like tall jeweled women with violent hair who are mad to dance, but only in one spot, such a racket, and someone somewhere is splitting a guava or beating egg whites until they form castles. Listen, someone is opening a fish, lifting the spine by its tail to get to the meat still printed with the memory of its bones. I mean, that's just gorgeous. It's just gorgeous. I mean, it's so evocative. It's like all these things, even how birds can sustain you. I mean, all, all just all the language. I don't know. It's just stunning. I, I had a lot of help with the practical work of making the story move. 
And yeah. that comes naturally. To, my, my husband, bless his heart, says, you know, Catherine, you missed your calling. You should have been a poet. But to me, they're not, they're one and the same. I mean, you can be a novelist who has a poetic voice. That just channels through me. There was a funny thing that happened. I live in New York City, as as you do. And I was walking in Gourmet Garage, if you remember that chain. I have, and, yes, yes. And I was buying groceries in the the only passage in that book that didn't have revisions or changes was one when I was shopping at Gourmet Garage, and the last passage in the entire book came whole into my head, and it's the only one I kept intact at the end. And it was funny because I very calmly finished shopping. I went home, and I sort of tilted my head forward and wrote verbatim what had come into my head. But that's a gift. Writers will tell you that's the sort of thing that's just this magical gift that happens and it's very rare. Gourmet Garage, who knew? Now yeah. tons of people. <laughs> Is it out of business? I thought it was still there. Still, I haven't I, been. It's out of business. I liked it, but you know. Oh no. It, oh. Unfortunately. Okay. Well. <laughs> so you've written several other novels and yeah. short stories and children's books, and you're just a writer's writer. How did this all begin? And how have you been able to you know, continually innovate and have more products and new ideas, and you know, take us through like how that has happened for you. Well, I was one of those lucky people who, instead of just thinking of writing as something I wanted to do, I knew at the age of twelve there was an actual moment where I thought that this is who I am. Mm. as, you know, the voyage getting from there to here. I mean, there was, I went to a Catholic school called Our Lady of Grace in California and a sister Anna Maria, I think, wrote something on the board and said, use these words in a sentence. And I don't remember the sentence I wrote, but I remember the sensation of feeling like it just got given to me. And mm -hmm. I thought, this is what I want for the rest of my life. Now, being a child, I didn't realize how circuitous the road would be. But I think we all know that sensation where you are kind of wandering and you don't know what to do. You don't know what's right about whatever you're dealing with. And suddenly you think, ah, that's it. And mm -hmm. the issue for just life in general, not just writers, is the patience required to get to those moments where you think this is it. Now, in this case for this book, it accumulates, your life accumulates. And I was invited to give a talk at the Library of Congress in the Hispanic division um, about my previous book. And, and the woman in charge said, they have a really strange exhibit in the map room I really want to show you. And it was something called the Portuguese Protestants of Illinois, which made us laugh. <laughs> and she said, you know, this sounds like something would be up right up your alley. And I did a little preliminary research, but I thought, no, I don't know. It was like a, my own love story. I don't know about this guy. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I want to get involved. And then suddenly I read an interview with him in which he talks about being an old man going back to the Lincoln household. And I have this in the book. And he is so overcome with memories of love when he was a young man that his hand is shaking too much to sign the Lincoln guest book. And another person there has to do it for him. And that kept me going. It took over 15 years to write this book. That kept me going. Not the goals or the plot so much as that moment of what kind of love was that, that as an old man, the memory is making him shake so much he can't sign his name. A competent person physically able can't sign his name. 
And when I was in Illinois doing research, it was a wonderful moment where they were so happy in the Abraham Lincoln Presidential Library that I was not there to check genealogy. Like my great uncle had been, or great great uncle was the pallbearer for Lincoln, that kind of thing, that they kept running down to the vault for me and saying, let's get the guest book up. Let's get Mary Todd Lincoln's cookbook. Let's bring it up, which was wonderful because the dessert pages were stuck together with sugar. So I'm a real believer in when you do a book, it's not just fact or word, it's bringing the world into your veins and going out and being surprised, meeting people. In Illinois, I met a botanist at Illinois College named Dr. Lawrence Zettler, who was developing ghost orchid perfume. And I thought that has to be a cameo in my book because who knew that ghost orchids were out in the prairie of Illinois. And it was only last year that in London at the Royal Horticultural Garden annual event, he gave me a vial of ghost orchid perfume because we went there basically to get it. I wish I could tell you it's this intoxicating, wonderful scent, but it was kind of sort of neutral smelling. (laughs) (laughs) But I think research like life, you have to say, all right, world, um, um, let me open my veins. I mean, Emily Dickinson has a beautiful line about keeping the soul ajar. And mm-hmm. that is, I think, what writers have to do. Because we get very goal-oriented. We get, here's my plan. Here's my outline. And then we miss that point of going from discipline and will into inspiration and saying, all right, tell me what the story is. So that part of it really took a lot of years to get right in terms of writing these characters. You know, it's been a real thrill to have it done, though, I must say. I mean, it got into People Magazine as a book of the week. It got, you know, you you put it on your top 15 list for November. And I've been so heartened by readers writing to me saying that they fell in love with Mary and John and my characters. And that means the world to me as a writer. That just made it all worthwhile. That's amazing. Keeping the soul open. I love that. I feel like in your book, the way you write about love is particularly soulful, impactful. What are you tapping into in your own life if anything, which loves are you? Are, yeah, I, could, I feel like you're yeah. putting an IV into and yeah, draining. That's a really great question. And I think one thing I wanted to get across is there's this wonderful Portuguese word that people are hearing more and more now, which is saudade. And in Brazil, they say saudade, which is supposed to be one of those impossible to define words, but it means the kind of longing for people or places that are missing so that the absence of them is the biggest presence in your life. And Mm. you can have so dad for people who are still in your life, but there's that longing. And I think that attitude, that a capacity for grief and sorrow increases your capacity for joy and love was something that I always grew up with. And that was that emotional capacity is large if you can contain all those things. Because... Being in love with someone, of course, is you accept grief that might come. You take it all in. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that happened to me personally when I was writing the book was my father died. This is now about 10 years ago. So it was one third of the way through. 
And he's kind of in the character of, in fact, his name was August, the Mary's father. And he was a magical gardener. And so that got me through that. I put a lot of the love I had for my dad, who came from the Azores. Uh, his family came from the Azores. And I felt a lot of love and missing him. So I think the love of Mary for her father was the flip side of my grief. You know, and I think that those aren't opposites. We tend to shy away from grief and sadness. And I think the idea of embracing it as part of having a large capacity is important. But there's another personal thing, which is a lot more fun, which is that at the beginning of this book, when I was the Radcliffe Institute first starting it, I met Christopher Cerf. And the entire span of our relationship together has been this book. So I've been living my own love story while writing this long love story. I won't tell people how it turns out later in life. So that fueled me too. And I guess just that feeling of books and language are a way of sharing the language we all feel inside, but we don't really use on a day-to-day basis. We can't. I mean, even when you're fond of someone, even when you love someone, you don't constantly say it. And we all come up with cliches when you know we try to comfort people or say we love someone. And I think language and books and love stories are a way of really getting into that bedrock of emotion where language can help us connect with each other. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. That's beautiful. Really beautiful. I'm so sorry about your dad. And now I want to hear more about your Falling in love with Christopher Surf, who, by the way, was on this podcast yes, many years ago. <laughs> yes. Wait, tell me about that. And what w- was that like? And have had were you both married previously or what? I don't know. This is none there of my business, but tell me. Mar- second marriages for both later in life. And I will say this is very amusing because I have young people, both men and women, young men and women uh, who come up and say, oh, my God, you're my model because otherwise I just I just want to give up. And I said, well, I did give up. You know, I was alone for a number of years. And it had that feeling of a later in life love. When I met Chris, we had actually met 
like 25 years before in California, but didn't even go out. And he lives in New York. I live in California. And I was at the Radcliffe Institute at a party and a wonderful woman named Lindy Hess, who people in the publishing world will recognize as someone who is this wonderful person able to put editors in all sorts of places. She ran a publishing program, the Columbia Publishing Program, uh, said his name. And I said, oh my gosh, I haven't heard that name in years. And I had a friend named Varley O'Connor who had a book coming out with Bellevue Literary Press, which was put out by Bellevue Hospital. They were doing books on medical topics, and uh, she had a novel called The Cure coming out. And I said to him, well, I'm going to a book party at Bellevue Hospital. You're welcome to join me. So our first date was at Bellevue Hospital for a book party, which was a wonderful marriage of all sorts of things. And I knew my life had changed right away. This is very romantic, but we kissed in the cab, kind of sat back like it was a movie scene. I got out and went to my hotel, sat on the end of the bed. We'd had dinner and talk for four hours. The phone rang again, and he said, I wanted to hear your voice again. So that was it for me. Oh, so, so I know. Isn't that, I mean, you know, whenever we have a quarrel, I think, oh, but you have such a good story. You, have, you know, <laughs> stick to the course. You know, it's okay. <laughs> oh he's God. very dear. And, of course, he's comes from a publishing family. His dad started Random House and Chris went into Sesame Street. So he's a joyful, colorful person. So that inspires me. I married someone who really inspires me. Oh my gosh, I love that. So you said you were working on this for 15 years, but meanwhile, you've had all these other things come out and you know have been so prolific in so many ways. What happened? Do you just like leave it on the computer and every so often go back to it? Or like, how do you keep the momentum without forgetting what's happening? I feel like if I don't work on something for a little bit, then I have to read it all the way from the beginning. And then I've like wasted all this time and I'm like, oh, forget it. Like, how do you keep going back into something over a prolonged period of time without sort of losing the thread and keeping all the momentum? Well, the 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 proper answer to that is I do lose the momentum, I lose the thread. And I have to go back and say, maybe I've lost that for a reason. Maybe the world is trying to tell me something bad and I try to go back and it accumulates, but I feel like I work very slowly. There's a wonderful thing, if I can give a gift to your listeners, it's that a friend introduced me to something called the Pomodoro Technique. Do you know what that mm-hmm. is? I've heard, yes. yes, I've heard other authors talk about it. You can Google it. So people who are listening can look it up in brief. It's 25-minute timed work sessions that sound awful and too disciplined and uptight. And I thought, oh, no, I don't think this will work. But a very magical thing happened. Suddenly, 25 minutes goes, the timer rings, and you think, how did I do that? I just wrote a page. There's a capacity you have to have for letting the world surprise you and letting the world come in and say, here's what's going to happen. And when you try to will something in place, it doesn't work as much as saying, all right, world, let me embrace you and see what happens. And one of the things that happened is 20 years after finishing my second book, which was called Mariana, which is about a nun who has a love affair in Portugal. It's based also on a possibly true story. That was in six languages. It it did better in Europe because she's a romantic icon in Europe. 20 years after that, a woman named Anne Harrison, who'd been optioning it, found a woman named Sandy Welsh in London to do the screenplay, which is now in process. And Sandy is a very accomplished, wonderful artist who's done a lot of things for the BBC, like Jane Eyre 
Emma. She does these literary adaptations. That came after 20 years of finishing something. So one thing that does keep me going is that trying to be calm and saying, all right, world, what gifts are out there? And, you know, the world is such a tormented, difficult place full of so much horror and conflict. And I think a capacity for saying, please, world, be beautiful and do something. Maybe I can share it is, well, who knows? But that's kept me going. That's kept me going as a writer. Wow, that's beautiful. What are you working on now? Now that you're, this big work has come out, yes. you can think again. <laughs> I'm actually trying my hand at a screenplay based on one of my stories. Hmm. I I studied screenplays back in my 20s to learn about story structure. That was a usually useful tool. And I've had a lot of students who've gone on to be very successful in, in screenwriting world and writing. And they say, you know, Catherine, you taught us how to do that. And you used movies as example about story spines. Why don't you try one? I I think I'm still a novelist and short story writer, but I'm doing that as a way of moving on. My next book, here's what I hope, that it's short, contemporary, and funny. Oh. <laughs> we'll see if that happens, but that's that's my aim. I just read Beasting, which I made me laugh a lot. I mean, it's a, it's a tough book too. And I thought, oh, you know, this is wonderful. A family and a humorous story. It seems like something to try. So something short and contemporary. And I think it's very difficult for writers to be in that fallow period where you think, all right, what's next? And that learning that kind of patience is, is another kind of lesson. What else are you reading? At the moment, I've just started Open Throat by Henry Holt. I just read Andrew Ridker's Hope. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's someone I met at the breakfast you hosted, and I loved that book. So I just finished that. The Center for Fiction sent me some books because we're friends, and, and Let Us Descend is next on my list. I did want to read The Prophet by Paul Lynch. I've got that lined up. And I've had the James McBride Heaven and Earth Grocery Store kind of queued up to to move on to as as well. So I've got a pile of New Yorkers to get through, but <laughs> I, I think reading is a good thing to fill up with in these in between phases. I tend to work on one thing at once so that my brain can stay attuned to the one thing without jumping, trying to be calm and waiting for those things that might happen for the thing I'm working on. That uh, Other people have different ways of doing things, but that that's mine. Amazing. Okay. Last pieces of advice for aspiring authors? Yeah. I think I have a really creative one, which is don't call yourself aspiring. You can change your life the moment you decide who you are without getting out of the chair where you're listening. If you say not, I want to do this one day, but I am a writer. And I believe in making actual physical gestures to the world to be part of that community in a generous, heart-responsive way. For example, when I was a somewhat penniless college student and I knew who I was and what I wanted to be, and I wasn't sure how to join that world, I didn't really know any writers, 
I decided to subscribe to a few literary magazines, which at the time came in the mail to you, and to read them. And that was my way of contributing to the arts, you might say. Some gesture to the world. There was a well-known artist I, I met in Los Angeles who said to me something that haunted me and stayed with me. He said, never trust anyone who's jealous for the successes of his friends or her friends. And I think being big-hearted is the way to go. But decide who you are, look up the Pomodoro technique, maybe, and belong to the world immediately. And then it's a long road that will be your own. That's amazing. So inspiring. What a story, both your own story and above the salt. Congratulations. And it's just a a pleasure to talk to you. Well, this was such a pleasure and I've been looking forward to it so, so much. And thank you again for just championing authors and books and writers because it does make a difference. So, so thank you. You're welcome. Thank you so much. Hope to see you again soon. Okay, you bet. Okay. Bye, Catherine. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Don't forget to follow me on Instagram at Zibby Owens and at Moms Don't Have Time to Read Books. Also sign up for my newsletter at ZibbyOwens.com and sign up for my virtual book club and meet lots of authors on Zoom every other week. Thanks so much to Steve and Ryan at Texture Sound for the sound editing. And thank you to Morning Moon Productions for providing this fantastic intro and outro music. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.